Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Lockie Bradford. And I'm Robbie Hicks. And on today's episode, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Adrian Osmond, co-founder of Mr. Yum. And I'll tell you what, his hair was doing all right in this episode, wasn't it? Oh, mate. I wish we had a bit of video for this one because he was looking hot. Don't worry about that. Slick back, kick back. He was just a man on a mission and uh, what, a, what a story of... Uh, Mr. Yum is, you know what I mean? More more Aussie founders doing big things out, out in the big bad world. And I'll give you a hot <laughs> tip, uh, seeing, seeing what they've done and how this, their, their team's growing, just the scale of what they've been able to create, pretty impressive. So for those out there interested in the tech space and want to see how businesses grow and scale and take on international markets, this episode is for you. Adrian, thank you so much for jumping on and having a chat with us today. Uh, for those listening at home, who are you and what do you do? Thanks, fellas. Stoked to be here. Uh, I'm Adrian. I'm one of four co-founders in Mitsuyum. Um, we're a, a mobile payments platform for hospitality and entertainment. Uh, so we do digital menus to sort of bring menus to life uh, and then help venues with uh, digitizing their business, um, helping them with the P&L, you know, making it more efficient, getting consumers to spend more, uh, et cetera, because it's, it's a tough business, hospitality and entertainment, and they... Uh, they're pretty far behind the, the retail industry. So looking to, to give them the same tools that, say, Shopify um, has given retail brands over the, over the last decade. Shit, so you, you pretty much do it all. So what did it start off with, with the idea? Like, what was the seed idea for Mr. Yum? Was it like the QR code and then sort of the education around other things? Like, what was the, the thing that it started with? What was the skeleton? Yeah, actually, it's probably a good, a good lesson in this story for people listening just around... Uh, we'd, we'd failed, um, myself and, and the other co-founders had, had failed um, tech businesses before, so we'd learned some pretty hard lessons leading into to Mr. Yum. Um, the, the original idea came from Kim, my partner, who's the CEO. Um, she'd been yapping on for the better part of a year. Um, we were running a, a consulting company, Pitch Black, uh, together. That's in the innovation space, helping early entrepreneurs. So we'd been doing that for years. And then she was just yapping on about menus, and how they haven't changed in, I think it's 350 years ago or something. The first sort of, you know, it wasn't even printed. It was probably written on with, <laughs> with uh, old school writing. But that first concept of this paper that has the, the menu item and the pricing is about 350 to 370 years old. Uh, and hasn't changed really since, even though the whole, every, everything else tangibly had, had changed. So she, she had seen the trends in uh, China around QR codes and QR payments and, and digital menus that just hadn't really um, flown through to uh, flowed through to Western culture. Um, and admittedly, and I feel really bad about this, I thought the idea was quite average for, for some time. <laughs> trying to get, Put on the back and, burner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, on the back burner, I, I couldn't have been more wrong on on that one. I just, I guess, I couldn't see where it went to from the menu piece uh, initially. I didn't know where, where it would would grow. Um, but then, yeah, credit to Kerry, one of our other co-founders um, who we've worked with for years prior to Miss Yum as well. She um, she couldn't get the idea out of her head either after Kim had been had been talking about it. And then, so we we collectively agreed, okay, let's let's try something. And I, yeah, I think the lesson here is, you know, not building a Rolls Royce, which so many startups fail by trying to build too much. We created the simplest ever like QR code to web-based menu. It just had photos. I think some dietary filters in the original version. Um, we hired a, a contract um, engineer, like a pretty junior engineer, just to build the first version, which took two weeks flat. Um, we use a tool called Airtable, which is just like this database 
tool that you can build on top of, smashed out this pretty flaky MVP uh, in a couple of weeks and, and somehow convinced the most local cafe to us in, in Collingwood called Lemon, Middle and Orange um, to sort of beg them to put this thing on their printed menu. Um, and the timing was interesting as well because it was only just before that that we'd seen um, QR codes embedded into the, the cameras of Apple and Android phones. So we, when we first went out to venues, they were like, what the hell, QR codes, aren't they like dead? You know, they're gone. Um, but we, we did back them to make a pretty big comeback because typically Apple and Google making a, a software update like that, they're not going to roll it back. So they were onto it. They knew that it was going to explode as this sort of physical to digital um, transition that's just so frictionless. Um, so yeah, that was it. We put it in a cafe, simple, simple menu products, no payments, uh, none of the ordering of what it's become now. And we set a fail metric for the experiment that if less than 5% of people who walk in the door scan this thing, we're gonna, we're gonna throw it in the bin because it's not looking good. Um, the, the instructions on the menu were, because no one knew what QR codes were, we had to have a, pretty much a novel on the menu around like, open your camera, like you don't need an app, hold it over the QR, scan it to see photos of all the, of all the dishes. And it was something like 17% or something straight up immediately of people who walked in the door scanned this thing to look at a photo menu. So we, we kind of knew we were onto something there. And are you looking at age demographics and stuff then? Like, are you looking at like the types of venues and stuff to target then? Like if you're looking at the 17%, you're like, all right, well, it seems like the younger generation are adopting to it. Let's sort of target these restaurants first. They'll get it. That's a great question. Um, we were surprised immediately in the first week how um, non-generational the idea is. And that's that stayed true um, to this day. I think it's uh, I think it's 40% of Miss Yum users are over the age of 45. Um, and that and that comes down to like who's actually spending money in a dining out context. Um, so, but what what we targeted at the start was the the insight that Kim had noticed was that consumers were using Instagram and Google images as a menu, like hacking at it. Essentially, you've got your printed menu on the table, uh, and then they're scrolling through their phone and trying to you know figure out this that. puzzle. But yeah, yeah Instagram, really, you really... look through the whole thing and you're trying to find like the dish that you want. Is it still you're on going, the menu? Yeah. You're like, I don't want to fucking yes. order that. Is it actually, oh, it's going to look like that. Nah, fuck that. I'm not ordering that. <laughs> exactly. Um, so we, our, the insight was, uh, Kim's insight was like, okay, well, they're on their phones anyways. Um, so in terms of target venues, to answer your question, um, in, Insta, Instagrammable places were the low-hanging fruit for us. And that was like, you know, your hypey cafes, um, casual, casual dining places where consumers were already sort of using Instagram um, to try and hack at this solution. And we were just giving them something so much better that was, you know, up-to-date photos of everything, beautiful photos of everything. You know that they actually have that dish there and it's not a special from uh, from two years ago, which often happens with that Instagram hacking approach. Well, do, do you get like the venues to provide the photos or do you now offer the service to take all the product shots and make them look schmicko and all that sort of shit? Uh, increasingly venues have their own in-house capability for this, but yes, initially we, um, we now, we now have a pretty large photography supply chain, but we don't, uh, so we, they're just awesome freelance photographers and, uh, we give them the work, but we don't charge a margin on top of it. Um, you know, so that's, that's in a lot of the cities that we're in now, but yeah, increasingly they've got their own solution now and they're, they're taking these photos for like marketing and, you know, social sort of purposes. So the, the, the photos are the e easiest part of our business. <laughs> they don't, they, we never, we never, ironically, we never talk about the photo piece internally. It's not, it's like the easiest part. 
Fuck how yeah. quickly did you go from you, you you tested out the first one you've seen people like it i can imagine if with your your, your mvp that you've knocked up in two weeks trying to onboard lots and lots of customers onto a platform that might not be able to uh host that many how did you go with like i guess acquiring people and building out the capability to make sure the platform could handle the the traffic yeah it was um it was initially yeah just a hyper local sort of collingwood in melbourne and fitzroy sort of approach so just trying to leverage the um I guess the mini network effects of, of hitting a, a neighbor, a small neighborhood and that worked because you could then name drop the different venues and, and bring them on. So we, we got to 20 or 30 venues really, really quickly, like within um, weeks, not months. Um, the, the product, you know, band-aids and all was somehow, you know, holding together. I guess it didn't, even though it was a bit of a hack job, it didn't do very much. It's just like photos and words on a page. So it, it, it actually, it held together pretty strong for some time. Um, and then, yeah, coming into sort of five, six months, or yeah, four months in, we had to start thinking about um, where does this go next? And we were, we did, the thesis was pretty much right from the start that if you can get consumers using this as a visual menu, that the the uh, behavioral jump for them to order and pay through it wouldn't be very big. It's just mm-hmm. the technology jump is massive, um, much bigger barrier than most people realize that, that, that attempt this idea, which we've seen many attempts come and go um over the years but uh so yeah that was that was a thesis and then it was just about okay we probably need to hire some some developers and and have quite a lot more money to be able to attempt that 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 second stage unreal and is that like how many how many were you in the team at that point in time because i can imagine we're getting to closer to i really want to talk about how like COVID impacted but, but like pre that still tell us about like how many people did you have at that stage how were you growing the team out yeah, it was, it was very small, like four or five uh, initially until um, we raised a, six months in, we raised our first um, seed round, which is also a pretty interesting um, story how that all, all happened. But we then got, we then grew to sort of 10, 10 plus after that. But how did the um, seed the, round go then? How did that go? Well, that yeah, must so, have been an important, like a big step in terms of what you're doing. Yeah, it was it was key. Um, we were self-funding the, the sort of first bit, so we knew to get anywhere, we'd have to do, we'd have to raise you know capital pretty quickly. Um, wanted to put fuel in the fire, right? It was just sort of working the idea, so we wanted really wanted to get into that payments piece. So we were, I, my parents, I'm from Brisbane originally, and and my parents go to Coffs Harbour every every year for um, for Christmas. They have done the creatures of habit. They've done it for like twenty something years straight. And Kim and I, because as because we're a couple, we were there together over Christmas, sitting on the beach. And um, Kim was like, "Okay, we want to raise money. We're probably not going to go to VCs yet because we're pretty we're very early stage. So you know, maybe we should be looking at um, hospitality groups and and you know people who are in the industry um, as well as angel investors, etc. So she searches hospitality on LinkedIn to see who comes up. Um, and this guy now that he's become you know, a good friend and a huge supporter of ours, Paul Waterson, who's a, the CEO of Australian Venue Co., um, which is one of the biggest hospitality groups. They own 170 pubs um, around Australia and New Zealand. Um, all of the You guys would go to their pubs all the time. You, their brand yeah. isn't that well known, but if you go on the website, you know, you've know you been to 40 yeah. of their pubs, I, I promise you. Yeah. <laughs> sneaky <laughs> cool, those, huh? It's very sneaky cool. Ripper venue. So we reached out to him, you know, and it started with sort of mentorship very quickly. It turned into like, Hey, like how, what's next for these menus? How quickly can you do the ordering piece? Cause we've been trying to look at building that or finding 
a solution for that. So they were super innovative and, and on, onto it before most of Australia was. Um, and they actually backed us in that seed round. They put in a large chunk of that. It was a one and a half million Australian round. Um, they sort of put in a big chunk and then the credibility of having them as a customer and an investor in that round, it was really quick being up, rounding up the rest of the, um, the money to properly build a team around it and, and get stuck into the ordering piece. Wow. Love that. Hey, what about working, <laughs> working with Kim? Tell us about working with like, yeah, right, we've had a few. How would you go, Rob? Po- how would you go, Rob, working with them? How would I go there? Uh, <laughs> we would, it definitely wouldn't be many of my, my decisions. You know, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't have much, I wouldn't have much power over anything. I would have no control. I'd just have to do as I'm told and it wouldn't go very well. I don't think. Uh, yeah, we get asked this question a lot. Um, so yeah, that, that makes sense. That's come up. Uh, it because of the types of people we are, it works. It's really healthy and works really well for us. Um, startups consume, particularly like a fast growth startup, which we're fortunate to have. Um, they consume everything, you know, every waking hour. Really, <laughs> you, there's so much sacrifice in, in doing this. You, you you miss out on a lot, right? So, um, with the eye on the prize, so that that sort of routine doesn't lend itself very very nicely to a healthy relationship to someone that you're not in business with. That's probably like the thing the thing that people miss miss the most or, or um, w- would assume it makes the relationship harder or the business harder. But if you have no time for your partner at all, that you're not going to be a very good uh, boyfriend or girlfriend, right? So it just works really naturally because we're building something together. Um, she's the big boss, right? She's the CEO. And I think that that's really healthy as well and work, works well. I'm happy to... Um, definitely be more in the background um and yeah it's just it just works well and it's an unfair advantage for us right because other co-founders they go to bed with their partners and we go to bed together and we're brainstorming world domination for probably an extra two three hours at the end of every night so oh, a bit of bonnie <laughs> and clyde of type of stuff huh i love that's it, it. Yeah. oh that's sick no that's that's grouse i mean we've spoken to a few people who've, who work with their partners and they all say the same thing it is it is like if you can't switch off anyway it's better off you know, have bouncing ideas and just like, fuck it, you know, like it's just, it consumes your life. Hey, I, I know you said before you mentioned your journey about getting into that, but like how much of a jump in terms of work and, and, and consuming time and all that, did it just flick for you when, when Mr. Yum sort of started happening? Oh, fuck, this is a different like space I'm living in now. It is a whole new world. Like I was like, I'm, I'm 29 now. I turn um, 30 at the end of this year. Um, and I have actually I've been self-employed since I was 20. Um, so I've been having a crack, you know, slow progress. Um, things, some things are getting momentum and, and not, but I've been self-employed and have had uh, employees from probably 21 onwards. So I definitely had a lot of the scars and learning what, it, you know, learning from those lessons and around the, the mental piece and what it takes to just sort of um, fight and survive. Um, but just, yeah, the intensity and the scale of, an idea when it works out is, is nothing can really prepare you for that even even you know years and years prior of of business at varying levels of success and failure um it is pretty full-on yeah so i wouldn't uh i encourage people to get into entrepreneurship in in general but it's, it should definitely be noted that if you're trying to do a fast growth tech startup that that's a whole nother whole nother um bag of worms that you're going into what are some of the biggest learnings that you've had, I guess, from some of the earlier businesses that you've taken with you into your journey now with Mr. Yum? Um, learned 
uh, yeah, I guess the the, um, the simplicity in which Missy Um started, I think we'd learned a lot of um, hard lessons from that, just trying to build out too much. Um, also, the fact that um, we're huge web enthusiasts, like Missy Um isn't an app, right? It's completely web-based. Um, so I think we'd learned, we'd learned some lessons from previous um, software businesses that, uh, whether it's an app or just around the level of friction um, that, that comes with signing up or using it. I think we'd learned a lot of hard lessons there around um, just got to remove every barrier possible um, to entry for both, in our case, for both merchants and, and the consumer. Um, so there's some lessons there. And then probably the other major one is just uh, the culture piece. Like that is, that takes up, in a fast growth startup, that is, you know, at least a third of your headspace is around um, hiring, you know, making it a great onboarding experience, uh, employee retention. That's something we're really proud of at Missy Um. We've, we've only lost one person in the last 18 months uh, in, in the business. So yeah, the, the culture piece, um, I've made heaps of mistakes in, in the past um, on that and hiring the wrong people or hiring the right people and not giving them the the, the love and, and nurture that they, or guidance that they, they deserve. So yeah, a lot. If I was to list all of my mistakes in previous businesses, the podcast would go for 20 hours. So I'll, I'll leave it there on that question. <laughs> take, it, take us about uh, when COVID hit early 2020 and the QR codes and now the takeaway, all this, the world's changed. What what happened there for Mr. Yum and your team then? Were you, when, when you're seeing all this unfold overseas and you're going, oh, fuck, is this, when this hits here, what's, gonna, what's it going to be like for us? Were you sort of preparing for that? It was a pretty scary moment like like we're probably right i think we were about 12 people in the team um at that point leading into covid and we'd, we'd rolled out missy um to 50 of the best australian venue co pubs we had cafes and entertainment groups like we started work with live nation pre-covid in, in australia and new zealand so the wheels were turning but all of our revenue because we're you know a mobile payments platform where you view the menu order and pay on premises, all of our revenue was derived from uh, the margin above the payment fee for in-venue transactions, right? So along with the rest of hospitality and entertainment, uh, essentially just shitting themselves as, they, as they're seeing this thing coming, we were, we were in a similar spot like, okay, we could be fucked here. Uh, we don't know how long this is going to last. Um, so we got a heads up from some of the bigger groups that we work with. It was actually nine days before the... Lock, the national lockdown in Australia. So we got a heads up like, hey, this is this is happening. Like everything's going to be completely locked down. Um, Kim, again, you know, being the ideas, ideas person quite often, um, you know, brought up the idea of us expanding into pickup and delivery um, ordering because we knew that that would be relevant to our customers all throughout the lockdowns. The media painted that as a pivot story and it certainly wasn't. Our The majority of our transactions are on-premises and that's our... Our passion is the in-venue piece and redefining that. Um, but we decided to do that. And then lockdown happened two days later, we launched pickup and delivery. And it was probably the coolest moment, I think, in our team's history, just around how much every everyone in the team rallied with the back against the their backs against the wall with no certainty and just made made shit happen. Um, I think six, six weeks into doing pickup and delivery, the volume from just those overtook any previous records of our in-venue um, volume. So it was like this volume goes to zero, six weeks later it overtakes previous records. Um, so it was just, yeah, it's just a cool moment. Something we look back on and, and try and educate new team members about 
you know, the fires that we put out and, and what the, how the team worked together in that time. That's the kind of intensity that we, we try to almost manufacture now going forward, maybe when the stakes are higher, but it doesn't feel as, as dire as it was then. Um, and then, and then, yeah, we just had a crazy things open back up, you know, the in, increased relevance of QR codes and contactless ordering inverted commas uh, was there. And we just, we just had an, a wild 2020 um, went from, 12 people to now uh, it's 95 full-time um, in the business now um, raised that last uh, investment post-seed round, 11 million post-seed round that you guys gave us a plug. And thank you. Thank you for the, the love on your, on your potty. Um, uh, so just, yeah, just a crazy, crazy, the, the volume through the platform grew 27 X in that calendar year. Um, just, it was just wind in the sails and just trying to keep up with this, this beast um, hard work. Right. But just a lot of luck on, on timing yeah, crazy too though right you, you would have i guess providing the platform that you did for a lot of these businesses that were f- fucked without in that in that point in time it would have been pretty meaningful knowing how many businesses you're actually helping stay afloat or people that you're helping stay open and all like help them move into how does this work now in the new world it would have been a cool thing for you and your team to be involved in it's so rewarding um yeah we just i think i think a lot of it's, it's hard to find a business where you really like the customer. Um, you know, I think yeah. a lot of people listening to this would relate to that. Like it is, it's just hard. And yeah, we work with, you know, creative hospitality and entertainment people that are, are doing, whether they're the owner or the people working within it, they're just, they're just doing like hard yakka for what they get out of it really. Like it's just so much sacrifice. So um, firstly, just being able to have something there that was really useful to them through those sort of dark times was, was fulfilling. But on the flip side, the industry has been way too slow to adapt. Um, so also just seeing them pushed off the cliff that they were scared of the digital cliff, whatever you want to call it, it's getting, watching them be, you know, being thrown into the deep end to um, embrace all of this stuff and then then seeing the benefits of it so quickly when they might've just taken three or four or five years to adopt it and they did it instantly. Um, so it's also been really, you know, rewarding just to see how much better their businesses are now. It's just way better. <laughs> and, yeah. and for you, fucking walking around seeing QR codes left, right, and center, you're going perfect. Let me get my phone out. Ting, 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 ting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was also lucky. The uh, we backed QR codes, but we didn't. We didn't obviously know COVID was going to happen, so they they're just now on pretty much every table of every restaurant or venue around the world. Usually, going to a, a PDF that you have to zoom in on, as you've probably seen. <laughs> Uh, so not not quite always going to products like us, but um, that's that's made things uh, easier as well to explain. So tell us about February this year. Then you've just you fucked off to LA. The riots are going bananas, and you're going, yeah, I'm going here. Let's just pack up and and jet off and and live here for a bit. Well, tell us the story about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, every every Aussie tech startup at a point somewhere in their journey obviously has to think about where their growth markets are overseas um it's a pretty big industry in australia and we could have we could have chosen like the menu log you know sort of approach where you just go insular and just try and fully own australia um and for a, for a long list of reasons we decided that was too risky um because so much of the capital is is outside australia in, in the us and europe etc um so when we weighed that up we're like oh we might we might get you know a good little lead in Australia, but eventually maybe a big one comes in and um, and can can smash us later on. So 
that was top of mind. Um, and we, we decided on uh, the UK and the US at the same time, which is, you know, either stupid or genius. <laughs> um, a lot to bite off, obviously, but pretty restricted regions within those countries. And yeah, Kim and I made the made the choice to first hit LA for a number of reasons, like, you know, big venues, good weather, good time overlap with our Australian East Coast team, a direct flight, you know, it's a lot closer than, than places like New York, for example. So um, locked that in, got on a plane in, in February, um, looked at each other in, in the plane when it was taking off, sort of laughing like, oh man, like... <laughs> LA was, a, you know, it was a shit fight there at the time. They'd only just come out of their lockdowns and it was on fire and riots and all this stuff was happening. So it was a pretty tense environment we were, we were going in, albeit the, the tail end of that, but it was still an interesting time to go to LA. And the COVID cases were just to an Aussie where it's nearly nothing always in Australia. Um, they seemed that the, the COVID chart looked pretty, pretty intimidating. Um, but yeah, we jumped on sort of one-way ticket to... Uh, to have a crack at, at entering this market and then um, brought on a team in, in London at the same time. Uh, we have been able to spend a month in London as well this year, which has been great. Uh, and then back to LA, but yeah, just, just getting our roots in here and hiring the right team members to, to help us figure out the US, which is a you know totally different and complicated market and, and probably two or three years behind Australia in, in, in this category. So it's, it's, a, it's a challenge, but it's uh, exciting and, and fun. As, and how's it going so far? You, you're there it's now. You came across in Feb. You now, what are we in? End of July. What's the game plan for the rest of this year? Um, yeah, how how is it going? I think you know before you do these things, you write out your your worst case scenario, best case scenarios, and everything in between. So I think it's going pretty pretty well on that on that spectrum, right? When there was a seeing the adoption of QR code ordering in the states would be less than one percent. So when you when you're running into something like that, you don't just think, "Oh, great, we're gonna we as a company is going to take that to 100% overnight, right?" You you have to be optimistic and uh, cynical at the same time. Um, so we we knew we're kind of up for it because it's it's a novel concept here, and they've got tipping. Um, the labor model's different. Uh, it's probably more traditional and thinking and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, on that on that spectrum of you know complete failure and everyone telling us to fuck off back home you know, on one end through to like a wild success, it's like at least enough runs on that ladder that it's pretty encouraging. And we're still here, I guess. We didn't come back with our tails between our legs after a <laughs> month or so. So that's probably a good, pretty telling. Um, but yeah, it's good. And it's, it's, it is way, way harder and um, way harder than Australia. Um, I've really enjoyed the, it's such a, we've got pretty well-recognized brand in Australia. Now I think half of the country has used our product in the last year in the last 12, like half of the population of Australia has used Misty Yum in the last 12 months. Uh, and then you come to the US and it's a new category that no one knows that they want. And so they couldn't really care less about the category or your company or you. So I have re I've actually really enjoyed how humbling that experience has been. Um, I think there's an issue if you just stay in Australia as a, as a founder, um, that sort of what are the big fish in the small pond sort of syndrome and and it's important to get out there and just realize how little you matter. <laughs> yeah. Man, your honesty. I think a lot of people are going to really resonate with the fact that you just, how authentic and stuff you talk about this. Cause I think that not many people get to hear, I guess the challenges, they see all the fun stuff like, Oh, I've gone through this raise. We're going to tackle international markets. We're going to go do this. But I guess the realness of how hard it is to make that shit happen is 
like I don't think that enough people get that doesn't get enough spotlight. And is it like you're learning again? Like you're learning new things where you're going, fuck, like when you started. Because one of the things we wanted to touch on was like the content you consume versus because you seem like you do a lot, yet you're busy all the time. But but you have to learn at some point. I know you learn by doing, but how do you balance that all out? Like when you go into new markets and you, like you said, you're starting from a different point, it's humbling, it's different. Are you looking at different inspirations to sort of see how things can sort of operate for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think we've been we've been really fortunate with how much transference there's been um, from a product point of view. Uh, it had and, and a lot of our learnings has transferred directly over into London and into the US. So a lot of what we had kind of worked pretty quickly um, over here, but. You're, there is a lot, a lot around. There's still a lot around internationalization and localizing things um, in both product, but also in sales. How you, I'll give, I'll give you an, a classic example. So like, when when you order something in a pub or a restaurant in Australia, it's called a docket. What prints out in the kitchen and in the bar, so they know what you've ordered. Uh, in the UK, that's called a check, uh, and in the US, it's called a ticket. Um, and in the US, the check is what you pay at the end, but it's also called a bill. Um, so there's just these like language things that come up. Like I definitely felt like a bit of an idiot for the first month. Another another venue asked, asked me here, um, how, how do you 86 items? I was like, sorry, what? Like, <laughs> how do you 86 an item? I was like, I'm really sorry. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And 86ing means selling out an item. And there's, there's some historical reason why in, in the US that that's become the term for the button that you press to make something sold out, but they call it 86ing. I'm like, so a lot of the vernacular stuff, um, the cult, the, there is a culture shock as well in, in LA around, um, you know, people love themselves a fair bit here. So it's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Robbie would love it over there. He'd fit right in the big bobblehead yeah, walking, walking around. He'd have, he'd have his arms oiled walking down oh. like down Hollywood, wouldn't you? Out every night for dinner, 100%. Sitting outside, making sure everyone sees me. <laughs> he'd be calling the paparazzi and asking him to come take photos of him. <laughs> I'd let him know where I was, 100%. How, how, that would be so different though, wouldn't it? Like, what? Explain how different that is, the culture shock of... Because you see like... I think a lot of people talk about the differences between Aussie founders and, and sort of that San Francisco vibe of that. It's just a different air of confidence. And I know Australian, you think about it, it's a bit tall poppy syndrome a little bit, but there are different flavors, aren't there? Yeah. Um, yes. So I think like, I'm, I'm like sort of yin and yang on everything. Right. So I, would, I don't want to like dismiss the city at all. I'm actually really enjoying it, but um, yeah, there's, you probably just have to work harder to find to find your crowd um and there's there's some you you're meeting often some of the most you know inspirational people like there's so much happening um there's so much cool shit that comes out of la in in you know tech and business and in music i'm a musician as well failed um nowhere near as good as what do you play the tech uh guitar um, by trade um and so yeah love love that um piece The, the food is actually is great so yeah, you're meeting just epic people. Um, and, but then, yeah, I guess it's culturally, you know, how it, how it manifests itself, the differences in, in Australia would just be like a lot less question asking. Um, so you can, you can go to a party and not get asked a question for five hours. Um, so that can, be, that can be a bit of a rude shock. It's like, oh, do you ask any questions at all? Um, no one cares. <laughs> yeah. And 
yeah, and they sell themselves pretty hard. So you got to we the team we've got here is 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 epic, and there's yeah, there's plenty of good people there. You just got to kind of find them. Um, and then yeah, on the flip side, you're learning you're learning a lot about selling yourself better, and not you know Australians can lose out on stuff by not asking the question, putting themselves out there, and and then the tall poppy syndrome that you that you mentioned as well. Um, so I think somewhere in between the two is probably the right the right thing right between between both cultures um so we're hopefully getting the best of both worlds out of that who's the craziest person you've bumped into walking down the street is there anyone that's like blown your mind yet um no i'm probably not hanging out in the in the cool spots am i um <laughs> you're in west no, hollywood think, mate surely yeah. um oh, i can't i can't think of the top of my head sorry but um yeah, we're not not really rolling rolling in those circles. The guys from Rufus to Soul actually invested in our in our last round, so they're awesome Aussie guys. So that that's there's my uh, little plug for them. Um, I was going to say because you were you were the PR and around that. That's what we probably want to go into. That is like it's different. I think you see a lot of tech companies and stuff, and it's just the same sort of investors. But like Rufus to Soul, like in 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 terms of PR and marketing and people interested in what you're doing, how important is that, especially being hospitality and entertainment you know yeah i think it's been it's always helped us to have uh we have a, a long list now of, of hospitality and entertainment folks um you know that are backers for us and i think i think it just helps with um you know if you're in entertainment if you're in music or sport or whatever seeing seeing those names um it will just give you a bunch more credibility and an open-mindedness to the platform and the people behind it um so that's that's worked really well, uh, and then those yeah those guys they're obviously Aussies that have lived in LA for three or four years now, so they were really helpful with opening up uh, opening up doors. But yeah, we're not exactly hanging out in in celeb parties, and I think I think they've been I think celebrities have been pretty reclusive um, during COVID as well. There's been a bit of an exodus. I think they're all hanging out in Puerto Rico uh, at the moment. To to be honest, there's been uh, a lot of people have sort of fled, um, and they'll they'll come back as the industry kicks back into gear, but. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like what it usually is, but you just see a bunch of uh, movie stars walking down the street or getting coffee. Yeah, I just imagine The Rock walking down, you know, arms out. <laughs> uh, like, down. Be, yeah. No, I saw, I, I was walking down in, um, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was Hollywood. And we were just staying at this, like, it was a pretty average joint, but I just walked down the street and there was like Adriana Grande. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, you know, they walk past Robbie Hicks here and people. <laughs> they used to, didn't they, huh? Hicker? You're my oh, the you make me laugh. Mate, I want to tell I want to talk about on your website, you talk about you've had over 15,738 product improvements. What's a product yes. improvement and why do you talk about it like that? Yeah, that's um that's like you know, individual code that's been shipped. So I get the I annoy the marketing team every couple of weeks to then annoy the the dev team to then get the updated number of how many things they've they've shipped in from you know from minor to major you know updates uh, that are included in that number. Um, so that's really cool. We're we're actually yeah we're we're a product led business at our core. You can you can pretty much be either product led or sales led as an organization, and we've um, most of our growth still to this day with you know having a large sales team now but still most of our growth has come organically from the product the product quality support you know the support we give the venues uh, and then other venues venues seeing other venues using the product and then you know applying through our site um so i think that's just there just as a, a kudos to the 
the tech, our tech team that worked so hard and showing that it's a high priority for us to continue to innovate and, and you know, bring shit out that's, that's helpful. That's something we really um, measure ourselves on is like, what are the most likely things to come out in this space in our category? Um, and, you know, do we agree as a team collectively that, that that feature set or that, you know, turning the corner, that thing will happen? And if yes, then like, let's try and be first at it in the world. That's a really big thing that we measure ourselves um, on. So an, an example is recently we did, um, we're the first platform in the world to do buy now, pay later in a in a uh, dining, dining in context with a partnership with Afterpay, um, who have been awesome, awesome to work with. Bit of controversy around around that, but we we love That's it. That's crazy. You know? so I can That's eat my nuts. burger over eight easy payments. That's it. You can You're go kidding. out to a, you know, a restaurant or, or the pub, and and Afterpay is now a payment method um, oh. on on Misty Yum. <laughs> People are going to celebrate hard now, aren't they? They're just going to be like, "Fuck it, get another bottle." Oh, I'm working for the next. Yeah. Two, you know, People <laughs> are spending I'll pay more. For the next two months. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I can work off this meal. Hey, what, what was 100%. the criticism though? What was the feedback that? What was it sounds like that's an interest it's really it's different yeah and i think yeah we're probably all within the demographic that uh, i'm not going to mention publishers here let's not get ourselves sued but um people can search you know search the stuff themselves but i think um yeah to, just that industry in general has, has copped it a bit um over the years uh with more traditional more traditional press around okay this is young kids and now spending money that they don't have um the frustration for us because we're you know big believers in buy now pay later is that you know there's a little late fees that you pay but they don't rack up you know debt if you if you fail on an afterpay payment you can't you can't um you can't do another payment on afterpay uh so when you when you look at them in contrast with with uh credit cards they couldn't be more ethical and yeah. all 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 buy now pay later is really doing is disrupting credit cards and moving actually convincing less kids to get one and just moving that that sort of line of credit over to probably more ethical and a more a better suited model where actually the merchant's paying a fee and the consumer is more taken care of. So um, I'm not sure why why it, it cops a bit, but yeah, we've got a little bit there. We we believe you know any press is good press. Oh. So we're always happy to be on either side of it. So hundred percent, something a bit sexy too. You know what I mean? That's you just look at people now with the the behavior of the buy now pay later for everything. It's just way better. So the the pushback is just bullshit. It's just but hey, keep writing about it. You 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 know rank high in every fucking Google search, wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah, this helps yeah. Our SEO, so they can, they can go to town. Mostly positive sentiment on that one, but yeah, um, but that's been fun. So that that's one example. But there's a you know long list of things and. Um, that's key to us yeah product product innovation and and um yeah we look up to companies who have done that uh historically and yeah just being being first is is important to us as as a business we want to keep keep moving you know we'll have to continue you asked before what's what's next you know we're going to move into our series a soon because our last round was a post seed so again it's just continuing to get the the best sort of um vcs and strategic investors behind us continue the growth of regions, but a huge amount of the capital will always go into our um, getting quality engineers and, and building cool, helpful stuff uh, for the industry. Well, from a tech, from a tech perspective, what are some of the companies that you look up to and like, all right, well, I like the way that they, they're getting their stuff out there. I like how they're doing their product improvements. I like how they're continually shipping new features out and the space that they work. What are some of the companies that you look to and go, fuck, I wish we could, I hope that we can emulate that. 
Uh, great question. Um, Shopify is a massive inspiration for us um, because if you, their journey, like, in many ways, we're trying to manufacture a lot, a lot of the things they've done in the past, and they're now like a one hundred and thirty billion dollar company or something absurd. Um, <laughs> pretty, pretty good, pretty good run. Loose change, um, yeah, yeah, just loose change. And w- the reason we we really like what they do is they they actually came out of a you know a market event. You know, COVID is like a market collapse and a you know a, a reshifting of, of economies and um, and they Shopify came what Australians call the GFC, which I've also learned being in the US that they don't know what the hell you're talking about when you say it's GFC. They call it something different here. Um, uh, but they Shopify was born out of that um, creating tools for initially entrepreneurs, but then it's kind of went to SMBs and and now they do enterprise and everything as well. Um, but yeah, I think they've got fifty percent now of the of the U.S. market share uh, for e-commerce, which is pretty astronomical. It's a big market, um, and I'm quoting their numbers here. Luckily, I'm not part of their business because <laughs> I'd be wrong. <laughs> it's a public company, but um, and I, I think it's something like twelve to fifteen percent or something of, of global market share there. Um, so I just love that they've built something you know easily accessible. Um, for entrepreneurs and, and, and businesses to use. Uh, and then just deeply integrated into their world. Like Miss Young was really, um, we feel leading the market in the amount of point of sale and payment methods, marketing CRM integrations, like we've got a full integrations team and invest, invest a lot into that. So it's again, less friction for the, for the venues to sign up. And Shopify has really led that, that strategy as well. They've got this insane integrations marketplace with hundreds, probably thousands of different things that plug into it. Um, it's pretty crazy really searching the Shopify plugins of how many things that they've got integrated. And you're like, what the fuck? I can do that too. You're kidding. It's endless, right? So I think there's something to take from that. They did it for retail. Um, now, you know, it's hospitality and entertainment's turn to, to transform the same way retail um, has done, albeit, you know, 10 years behind, unfortunately, but they're, they're kicking into gear now. Um, so I think there's a lot to learn from that. Um, and then other brands, uh, you know, at risk of sounding corny, but a- Apple from a brand point of view um, and value, just like how expensive they are, and yet everyone just <laughs> keeps buying their shit. Yeah, eight uh, hundred bucks for the new phone. It's just like, but it's slick though. It feels good in the hands, and well, like, I want nice. it. You know, <laughs> I want it. I want it. Give it to me. It's got the latest camera. It's got one megapixel better, but it's going to improve. You know, incremental improvements. Yes. <laughs> It's good, isn't it? Like oh, Apple's crazy, bro. Apple's nuts. And like, even what's the, um, who's the, was there a chief of product who worked under, he wrote a book, a simple product or something. I forget what it's called. I've fucking butchered that, but I'll put it in the notes. But like, even the way how this, the simplicity of the product, you know what I mean? It's like, fuck it. They, they really tried to make it really simple. And I think like you can sort of, you know, apply that to anything that you're doing. You know, I, feel, I don't know. There's just so many good things to Apple and what they've, Done. No wonder everyone fucking loves them. Huh? That's why they've got they're sitting on a big stockpile full of cash. Not only all their big users and shit, they got so much cash. Anyway, move, moving on. <laughs> One of the questions we ask uh, each of our guests is around um, our partners of the show, Heaps Normal, non-alcoholic beer. So the question we ask is, what's the th- what's your version of Heaps Normal? What's the thing that you turn to when you need some energy back in your life? Oh yeah, like yeah, I've heard this part of your your potty. It's good. Um, yeah, I think uh, for me. Uh, the, the exercise piece is pretty crucial. Um, 
whenever I find myself getting overwhelmed from from running with Siam, it's usually because I've been a, a lazy bastard and haven't haven't you know got rid of some adrenaline over the past week. Um, so I think yeah, just for your headspace, I try and try and get a few in a, a week there. Um, music, obviously, being a musician, um, is a big escape for me. So um, yeah, whacking on the headphones and just hearing hearing some some good tunes is, is always a good es- escape. What um, artists do you like? What what's what have you been playing recently? Oh, well, I have to give Rufus a plug again, don't I? Yeah, <laughs> nice. No, yeah, good nice. Then. Besides Rufus, we <laughs> love Rufus. Yeah, Rufus is obviously every second song comes through, you know, <laughs> but when it's not Rufus. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, oh, yeah, love, love. Tame Impala would probably be my my uh, my favourite act. So, again, there's another bit of love back for the Aussies um, yeah. that are doing big international things. Um, yeah, I got a whole bunch. I, I most, mostly find myself listening to uh, electronic music now, like, Sort of minimal sort of tech um, yeah. stuff, maybe just to get you in a, in a zone and and escape. But I'm I'm into into pretty much everything, yeah, what, other what, than like what kind of trap. bands. <laughs> what, yeah, trap shit. But what about, what did you play back in the day <laughs> on guitar? Like, what what were you in a band or anything, or was it just a solo act in the bedroom? Just yeah, I was, in, I was in a band um, back in the day called Tourism, um, and uh, it's funny that we've landed here. I shouldn't have said I was a musician. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah that was that was heaps of fun we we uh it, it actually sounded quite like the arctic monkeys because the, there was two brothers in it i played i played guitar and then there's two brothers once was a main singer and then his brother on bass um and they were from like pretty much the same area in, in england as the arctic monkeys and we're really inspired by it um so yeah so it's called tourism years ago we haven't been together we're still still mates obviously but haven't been together for a while because we all got got busy but we um yeah we 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 got along triple j supported us in australia was back when it was probably easier to get on triple j than it is these days it's more competitive um and we just had a good good run there for for a few years um surely there's a reunion show isn't there there's a reunion show in there come on oh yeah yeah you know three or so fans might might love that yeah you never well, know, you know, you've got all the, you got all the, the venues, you know, you just hit them all up and say, <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, perfect. part of the deal is we're play tourism headline every Friday night, huh? <laughs> Don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, fuck that. Well, man, thank you so much for jumping on and having us, having a chat with us and letting us pick your brain. It's uh, unreal to hear the story of Mr. Yam and some of your experiences and learnings. It's, uh, there's a fair bit of gold in this episode. Hey, look. Yeah, man, I just really appreciate it. Like we said at the top of the show, like it's been a long time coming, and I'm glad we glad we got to pick your brain and and hear about the story. Because yeah, it was yeah, your journey's been insane, and just what you're doing now, we can't wait to keep an eye on it and just uh, suss out your work, mate, because it's incredible, and and you know you're inspiring a bunch of Aussie entrepreneurs as well. You know, watching your journey and and watching it all happen, man, is fucking pumped. Thanks so much, guys. It's so fun. I'm a big fan of the potty. Like how uh, how casual it is, and you're getting some quality people on um, recently. Other than me, you made a mistake this week, but uh, um, yeah, yeah. but uh, but uh, congrats! I'm, I'm really really enjoying it. It was a pleasure to be on. Adrian Osman, you'd be sitting top eight in my MySpace friends. I reckon uh, you you bought the heat and the energy in this conversation, and uh, yeah, that was unreal. I love Mr. Yum, Mr. Yum. I might get a tattoo. Mr. Yum, prob- Mr. Yum, 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 yum. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? What did what did you think? I thought it was unreal. Yeah. Just, just nuggets of gold everywhere. I can't believe how like it's a really, like it's a simple idea that's executed really, really well, mm. and then it's just like people love it. 
and then obviously the pandemic happened and it was really mm. it helped push things in the right direction but as i said before crazy to see aussies doing cool things in the big bad world and uh if you're new to the pod we we release guest episodes monday thursday snacks pods come out your hot tuesday wednesday friday uh and we'll see you tomorrow